Ray Palmer had invited us to his lab to showcase a new computer he had constructed in his spare time. We were unaware that he had developed such a knack for computer programming, but were eager to see how this fit in with the Tiny Titan's adventures. What we didn't expect was a slew of bats wanting to do battle. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. I goofed on the last one, and no, no one said anything. I didn't say DC Comics, I just said comics history. And I only noticed it when I was editing. I finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> after, after hundreds of intros, <laughs> we, left in an, we left in an oopsie and I didn't re-record it. Um, so these issues of the atom are weird. There's there's a uh, not a first appearance, but a second appearance that I'm very excited to talk about. Yeah. Um, but the majority of these stories almost countermand everything we were excited about from last episode, and not because they're like bad, but because they're weirdly like all over the place none of the things that we liked about the last series of issues are in these issues these almost feel like a different writer to me i did have to go and check and yeah it's the exact same creative team but it felt different there's no question there. so we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna have to deal with that uh (laughs) it's not not gonna be probably too terribly long joanne but we might go into some some meandering here uh, but we're going to go to The Atom, number 18, May 1965. Uh, the Atom is stuck in a weird sort of Groundhog's Day time loop. And in doing so and getting himself out of the time loop, he also has to stop a nuke from going off in Ivy Town. Um, the time loop is almost an afterthought. It's a side effect of some of the radiation that's going on during the case. And you would think that would be more of a central aspect of the story. But it really isn't, and it's kind of like, why have this at all? A little bit. It, it feels it feels very forced. The nukes, the nuke aspect of the story, I found very interesting. Mm. I liked the kind of like cat and mouse game that they were playing with the bad guy, and like the stakes were fine. And I was like, yeah, this is good. Why did the first third of the story have to do with time travel, and then it's not a thing that happens throughout the re- the rest of the story? It's very strange. Um, it it just felt half-assed or or dropped off or like they forgot i find myself wondering if this is if to some degree we're approaching it i I agree that there is a drop ball regardless but i wonder if it feels more intense to us that it was dropped because this is a we come from an era where the time loop is an established like storytelling construct and i don't know to what degree that's the case here it there might be more of a oh i'm used to just a little bit of time traveling oh i'm back to the right moment whereas we're used to the stories that where the time the loop is intrinsic is deeply important to it uh either way though yeah it doesn't really add anything to the story beyond a little bit of sci-fi flavor at the beginning yeah, and I will, and I'll even go as far as to say, like, I didn't need it to be massively important. More so, it's like the pet peeve I have where inner monologue doesn't continue throughout the entirety of a movie. Hmm. 
if there's inter- if there's like an inner monologue for like a fir- the first third of the movie and then as it catches up there's no more inner monologue I was like, you've established this is a storytelling device. Continue to use a storytelling device. Again, it's not so much that I want time travel to be a more robust and nuanced aspect of the story. I'm like, you, you, this is your gimmick. Use your gimmick. Mm-hmm. You, otherwise, you've just you've added it's too much on the sandwich. You know, kind of a thing. It's just like you've just put too many things on this, and you could have done without this. It's unnecessary. I don't taste it anymore. You know, and that's more what it is for me. That's fair. Um, it. It feels inexpert. It just feels unnecessary. If you're going to use it, use it. If you're not, then don't have it. <laughs> like, it also really isn't, like, used as a device other than just saying, like, oh, uh, it's it's happening because of radiation. You could have had literally anything happen because of radiation. But this is a specific thing. And then that doesn't really come into play again. It drops off halfway through when he catches the crook and then the, the story becomes about disarming the bomb. Like, I thought that he was going to see the crook place the bomb at one point and then travel back in time and then have to do the entire day again, but then go for the bomb. Like, no, that doesn't even happen. Like, I thought they were going to get kind of creative with it and they just didn't. And I was like, all right, then just don't have it. Um, But that's only one story in number 18. The second story is Adam goes or he gets some amnesia during a case and thinks that he's a flea in a flea circus for a little bit. You know, when you're a tiny superhero, that's bound to happen. Um, and at one point, Jean and her friend are at this circus carnival thing and see the flea circus. And Adam, seeing Jean's face, remembers that he's the Adam and not a flea and tries to get uh, back home. Uh, all the while, he stops a, a criminal plot that has a guy pretend to be Ray Palmer. <laughs> and Jean doesn't notice. Um that also isn't like really that big of a deal it's just like there's a dude impersonating ray so that when she goes to see him later she's not freaked out that ray isn't there um it's kind of just an excuse to get away with him being a flea for a day yeah uh the atom number 19 july 1965 this is my favorite and honestly probably the best story that we we ended up getting through um this is the second appearance of zatanna the mystic uh magician of stage and arcane justice leaguery uh, I, I say the second because the first appearance appears to be with hawkman and hawkwoman we haven't gotten there yet in our alphabetic uh, alphabetical uh reading and coverage so we will get to that first appearance when we get there but this but she references meeting with hawkman and hawkwoman before coming to see adam so we know she shows up before this moment and um but she uh, when we get uh, towards the end, I have some additional uh, mm-hmm. context in that. Like, not, no no deep insights, but I found it fascinating and dug into it a little more. Yeah. I'm excited to see that when we, when we get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she approaches Adam to have him help her find her father who has gone missing. Now, Zatara Zatanna. Um, no, her last name is... Mm-hmm. Zatara. Uh, Giovanni John Zatara. Yeah, Giovanni Zatara. Um, Hey, uh, shout out to Italian-American. Zatanna's an Italian-American superhero. Fun fact. Um, So we got got one, guys. Her and Helena. (laughs) Her and Huntress. Wow, yeah, there Um, really aren't too many. I hadn't put that together. Huh. That feels uh, weird. The only other other Italian-American superhero that I am aware of in the Marvel Universe is Guido Strongman. From the from X Men, oh, yeah. and there those are the only three that I know of. 
Huh. It's a thing that you notice when it's your background. Yeah. Because I, you know you know who you know who is very common for an Italian American to be in comics? A mobster. Yeah. So just a just a thing for folks. Um so Zatanna Zatara, daughter of Giovanni Zatara. Giovanni Zatara was a Golden Age character who actually appears, I think, in Detective Comics number one, if I'm not mistaken, or I could be wrong. But he is in Detective Comics around the same time that Batman is. And Giovanni Zatara is a magic superhero. And uh, at a certain point, obviously, during the Comics Code, the magic superheroes went out of fashion. And they kind of explain away that he was beaten by an enemy and trapped somewhere. And Zatanna is on a quest to find her father. So the Hawks couldn't help her, so she went to the Atom. And she she has a book that she believes her father is inside. Um, believably, it's like a different dimension inside the book. So the Atom agrees to help her. And uh, they go into the book into a different dimension of magic. And in this dimension is a villain called the Druid, who apparently was a villain of Zatara's. Uh, when he was the main superhero in the Golden Age, and has apparently defeated Zatara and trapped him somewhere. So Zatanna wants to beat him to um, find out where her father is. The problem is the druid has gained a lot of magic by sucking up the magical essence of all the denizens of this realm, and the Adam and her have to work very hard to defeat him. Um, they don't find her father, so her quest is still ongoing, which I imagine will lead her to other characters, which I'm excited to see her bop around with. Um, really happy to see the backwards talking. Yeah. Is her still her incantation thing? Love that. Um, but it was a fun story. This was genuinely like a good issue length story that had some good ebb and flow compared to the others. It wasn't amazing, but it was more engaging than the others were, I think. And I really liked the the final, like, how they resolved the final difficulty of uh, the final challenge of beating the druid. Uh, he's absorbing magic from all things, and they, they feed him fake magic that he believes is real. And what happens when you do that? What happens when you make, uh, what happens when you integrate ignorance and non-thing into yourself as though it were a thing? And the answer is, boom, you lose. <laughs> Yeah. I love it. It works. Love it. Yeah, it was a good good story. This was the best of them. Um, the Atom, number 20, September 1965. Ray develops a computer that he uses to help discover the modus operandi of certain criminals and to, to like figure out the right identity by the MO at crime scenes. Um, initially, he uses this to try and convince Gene to marry him, which I was like, hey, remember how la- in last episode we were like, hey, he doesn't try to get her to marry him all the time. And then he does it like outright at the start of this issue. And I was really mad about it. Oh, yeah. um, he tries to cl- see, like, see, Gene, we're like really compatible. I'm like, that's not what the fucking machine's for, man. But like, all right. <laughs> you just explained to your girlfriend that it's figuring out which criminal is responsible for things. These are not- two very different queries. <laughs> exactly. Um so no joint uh, statement is going to make those two things line up. <laughs> this is the worst Boolean question. Uh, can you tell we both work in, in computer science? Yeah. Um, so criminals break into the, the laboratory to try and destroy steel or figure out um, what the computer believes to be their MO so they can get away with crimes. Uh, 
fairly stock standard. I actually kind of liked this one. It wasn't bad. It was just different from what we normally see. Um, obviously, the Atom beats them, um, but it's kind of an interesting story that Ray builds a computer. We're starting to get into the fact that Ray is very much Swiss Army science. Before, yeah. it was kind of like physics, studying the white dwarf star and like its radiation and powers. And now it's like, you're also a computer scientist? You're able to build a computer? That's not an insubstantial amount of programming to do. Like, you really wouldn't have that knowledge if you were a physicist. This is the most, I think, Swiss Army science that Ray has ever really done. I will say one thing that I think differentiates a little bit is, in this case, he is Swiss Army science for the inciting incident as compared to like solving things partway through you're absolutely True. right though there is not much of a difference between the way that he is coming up with a random invention and the way that uh gene's dad does or chief yeah from doom patrol yeah. just making stuff yeah i will say there's probably some crossover because ray did make the belt that the size changing belt and you know no no amount of physics is going to teach you how to program a belt to do what you want so it's like maybe um also during the course of these six issues uh or five or six issues ray develops a better way of controlling his density and shrinking via his glove and no longer by trying to turn the belt so that if he's grabbed around the waist he can still shrink and grow or change his weight uh without having to touch the belt which i thought was really cool and very fun so he is upgrading himself as time goes on which i really like um the second story in issue 20 uh the atom pretends to be a leprechaun to shame a guy into giving a testimony to try and track down a criminal um this was weird it's slightly weirdly culturally insensitive that little bit yeah um not like heavily but he finds out that the guy who refuses to give a statement to the police about who he saw leave a bank robbery is a certain dude who has a history of like Irish ancestry and there's a story about leprechauns with his family so he pretends to be a leprechaun to shame this guy and being like see your family history is really upset with you and he's like oh you're right you're right I'll go do it <laughs> the interesting part about this is he gets the young nymph fairy woman from the atom number one to help be the rest of the leprechauns by like finding the rest of her like nymph fairy colony to do that <laughs> which i was like did you just like phone a friend and uh it works though i do love at the end of the story when the bad guys are all caught and the guy is thinking about and the atom reveals that he was the leprechaun yeah to the guy the guy goes like okay so like the atom was the leprechaun but who were the other people <laughs> yeah <laughs> like and it's nice that even though this is kind of a pull-it-out-your-ass kind of solution uh, for for Gardner Fox to use, it's also not the solution to the ultimate problem. It is like more like Act 2, Act 1 kind of situation. Yeah. It's very very kind of out there. Yeah. Um, the Atom, number 21, October 1965. Uh, the Atom is called in to surveil Gene's father, Professor Loring, who is being tailed by foreign agents. They believe that there is a foreign agent who is telepathic or who has ESP, which they had to explain to the Atom, which I thought was very cute. Um, uh, the guy has ESP and they're like, we're afraid that this guy is going to steal Professor Loring's secrets from his brain. You need to tail him. And it's actually a lure for the Atom. 
it's a trap. They get the atom. They try to get him out of the way. Um, and what we find out is they're not taking things from Professor Loring's brain. They're actually putting ideas in his head to make him valuable enough that the atom would have to protect him. Which was really kind of fascinating, but also like whatever foreign country uh, is doing this, presumably Russia, they're giving away state secrets to a rival country to be a f- to be worth protecting. I I vaguely remember like the last two panels, him being annoyed that eh, I thought they. I thought that there was this cool idea, and it turns out it's all a fake, but I'm determined to find a way to make it real. So my guess is that they were feeding him like, uh, hey, this this cool thing would work, and the formulas don't actually add up or something. Yeah, like the- theories, but not the actual practical. I think he also gets like super jazzed, where he's like, well, that just means I'll do it myself. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Beat them to the punch, and you're like, they actually give him stuff to complete things that they probably shouldn't have? So it's very, very strange. Mm-hmm. Um second story in 21 is a tying pool story <laughs> it's just so fucking all over the place um i have questions about the time pool after this that i'm gonna ask you um so professor hyatt is trying to capture footage of his ancestor's birthday pretty pretty selfish use of your time travel technology <laughs> um he doesn't understand why he's not getting the results he needed what he doesn't realize is that the time that he is trying to get back to is before a leap year was invented and the date that his ancestor would have a birthday on doesn't technically exist because they like eliminated 11 days out of the year for all the calendars to line up and the atom witnessing this sees his uh professor hyatt's ancestor's dad get robbed of some form of present that he was going to give to Professor Hyatt's ancestor and gets involved in like a whodunit mystery in the past revealing himself quite a lot to the past as the Atom to multiple different people and teaching some people investigative techniques works with a blind investigator who he can be his normal size in front of because the guy can't see him so he just like does some stuff as like Ray Palmer and then puts a camera in the house so that it records footage of the birthday party for Professor Hyatt. Okay. Oh, also, um, Henry Fielding is in the story, a famous person that, like, a movie and book, I think, are are either written about or... No, I think he writes a book that a famous motion picture is made of that gets an Oscar. That's, like, the tidbit the Adam throws out. I'm like, okay. So... How does the time pool choose the location that it's going to? Because it is not stationary. Because it goes to different locations at different times in history. So there's a big there's a big picture question which is how does any time machine do that because sure. there's no since uh, since the universe doesn't revolve around the earth, uh, you're always going to have like and any, I think the line that I've seen is any time machine must be a space machine as well, but that is not anything that Gardner Fox is interested in engaging with. It just kind of does right. the thing, <laughs> right? And that's fine, but my thing is, 
let's think like Gardner Fox for a second and not think with the brain of somebody who understands uh, time and relative dimension and space. Uh, how does it change locations? It's not like it's not like Professor Hyatt makes a different time pool per location to find some like it's not like it's a window into the past that he can reach into because that's what he he portrays it as it's a little pool of of temporal energy that he lowers a fishing rod in and pulls something out that he wants that's that's what the time pool is how was it where edgar Allan poe was and now where his ancestor was was not the same location ivy town is not where those other two things are it's not like ivy town is also like gettysburg or williamsburg or New York in the nineteen in the seventeen hundreds or whatever. It's like it's very clearly not the same location. Is Professor Hyatt modifying the time pool? Does he close it and open a new one that has a specific location that it's set to? I have questions. How does this work? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a little while since I read the uh, the introduction story of the time pool, but it's it's got to be like a turn it off and then you turn it on again with new time and space coordinates. But yeah, that Gardner Fox is not doing us any favors by not addressing this. Let, let alone again, Hyatt's only using it for his own personal gain. Yeah, he's he's get he's using it for tchotchkes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> things that he finds interesting that he wants to see if he can claw game out of history yeah and it's not it's like really it's the doing. first try it's he keeps doing this because the yeah. premise will only accept the the novel and weird without actually getting anything cool right because conversely there's the the professor slash hypnotist from golden age dc that would hypnotize batman and robin back into the past like everybody who can time travel in dc is using it for the weirdest purposes (laughs) it it says a lot that the one that makes the most sense i i feel like this is a true thing to say is the super family just going super fast and accelerating through and back from time yeah because then they can travel from whatever location they travel back to with their super speed yes it makes sense uh at any rate (laughs) the time pool it doesn't make sense i also love interdimensional claw game yeah i love that because that's exactly what it is he's just like i'm gonna put a magnet at the end of this and dip it in the time pool and hopefully i get something it's like that's how that works and i'm trying to remember (laughs) he can't look into the time pool either so it's it's (laughs) it's completely blind claw game he's just throwing a line in and being like hope i get something and it's like boy this is the most most inaccurate method of science i've seen in these yet it would be it would be genuinely fascinating to see someone write a paper about what are the odds that any given point within like plus or minus 10 feet from the ground at any point in history like you can intersect on a direct up and down line. Yeah. Something. At it us. Can't be high. Write us a write a write your entire dissertation about metaphysics <laughs> about Professor Hyatt's time pool. Well, it's the Pacific Ocean. Again. <laughs> 
hopefully I'll get the Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, boy. Uh, The Atom, number 22, January 1966. This is the last story that we're going to be covering. Happy New Year. Uh, Or the last issue. Um, No, this is actually all one story. Forgive me. So, Ivy Town is beset by a bunch of small medieval knights astride bats that seem to be robbing banks and committing various crimes. And a local criminal seems to be in charge of them. The Adam, upon further investigation, finds out that this guy is controlling them from a cave, specifically Giant's Cave, which is the cave that he found the White Dwarf Star Fragment in. And in this cave is a civilization called Elvara, full of tiny six-inch people, medieval-ish society with magic, that this criminal has found a way to hypnotize by using loud noises, i.e. shooting his gun inside the cave and causing such a racket that everyone goes into a hypnotic state and he can tell them what he wants them to do, which is good for the criminal because all the Alvarans get homicidally angry at the sight of anybody who is taller than them. And so the Adam being the same size as them is able to get into the city and be like what gives why are you helping this criminal they're like oh thank god you're here stranger you have to stop the bad man from hypnotizing us because he's making us commit crimes Um, but you also have to stop him from being here and not hypnotizing us because we will murder him if we see him (laughs) the adam's like come again and they're like yeah so when we were developing as a civilization um big normal sized humans tried to kill us all the time so our society effectively developed an inborn distaste and hatred for anyone of of a larger size that just kicks in when we see them and we try to kill people yeah and he's like seems legit all right um and so the adam helps the criminal not get killed by the elvarans but also arrests the criminal and stops him from hypnotizing the elvarans to make them commit crimes uh, the Atom now has befriended two societies of small people uh, in Ivy Town: uh, the Fairy Folk from Issue One and the Elvarans from Issue Twenty Two. Um, this is interesting because later in the history of Ray Palmer, he does have an entire series where he is shrunk down and like a medieval knight, and I'm pretty sure it's for Elvara, and I think it's oh. the series "The Sword of the Atom." Oh, that rules. And that is what happens to him. And then Raymond Choi becomes the Atom while Ray Palmer <laughs> is doing weird shit as a tiny person writing stuff. If I'm not mistaken, are you looking it up right now? Sword of the Atom? Yeah, uh, I'm looking up uh, Elvara. No, just the one appearance there. So let me look up Sword of the Atom. Ryan Choi, excuse me. Ryan Choi is the, is the other guy who becomes the Atom after um, Hooray gives it up. Okay, it, it isn't. Uh, let me look it up. Uh, after discovering... Oh, oh, okay, that's some relationship drama. Uh, soon finds himself stranded in Microsoft size in the Amazon rainforest. He has adventures with the alien princess Lathwin in the realm of Morliad. Yeah, man. Huh. All right, so not what I was thinking, but still. Yeah, um, but yeah, it cool seems shit. like it would have been a natural fit. Yeah. Um, and that is the end of our coverage. So weird stuff. Weird um, 
Uh, not the same as last episode's amount of coverage, just because less issues. We also started in, in 65, but also the quality seems off. Yeah. And I don't know what that's about. Now, it's not to say that Gardner Fox couldn't be having an off year, or maybe he's um, not focused on the Atom as much as he is Justice League this year. Who knows? There, There is a thing worth noting. Uh, but, but finish your thought. You know, I'm just... That was it. It's just it's it's hard to tell because we don't know Gardner Fox's state of mind or what was going on at that time because he is writing dozens of series for DC at the moment. So maybe the Adam just suffered this year. So there is one specific project that he has taken on, uh, starting in. So he starts this in uh, September of '64. Remind me again, uh, what years uh, did we cover? We covered through partway through '65, uh, '65 to '66. Okay, so starting in September of '64, which was the end of yeah, September '64 is the end of last episode's coverage. Oh, okay. So that might be the thing. He has started <clears throat> writing for Batman in detective comics because in may of 64 julius schwartz and carmine infantino and at first john broom is the writer and then gardner fox becomes the the usual writer are taking over batman and doing the new look so it's worth noting the new look is uh i've mentioned it before i haven't i haven't read any of the stuff but wikipedia tells me that for about like a there's about a year and a half of new look where in 64 Julius Schwartz, who is the driving editor behind the Silver Age, as we think of it in terms of Green Lantern, Flash, etc., the the big revamp, the renaissance, uh, so part of the Silver Age, uh, is handed Batman and says, hey, sales are down, we don't want to cancel Batman, but we're having to think about it, fix it. And there is a visual revamp because Carmine and fan fucking Tino takes over and does and has such a distinctive style that this is apparently the first time that they haven't ghost written Bob Kane as the mm. artist for this because it's in Fantino. People are going to know, uh, but they revamp it. And then a year and a half later, you get Batman 66. Which I find absolutely fascinating that mm, you have t- this t- little t- bit t- of time where they successfully turn things around and then this other thing just blows up in a different direction. But yeah. the relevant piece is by the time this chunk starts, presumably uh, Gardner Fox has more on his plate because he is doing Batman or something less. I wonder if I wonder if this is why they pulled him off of uh, Adam Strange. Mm. I don't know the timing. No, we're covering the same amounts of years. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we were covering from 64 to 66. So in that time, that was when we saw him get, get taken off of Adam Strange. <laughs> because he's and, probably writing Batman. And I am genuinely fascinated to see what that Batman is like. Because Infantino and Gardner Fox on Batman, with as much as I don't like Julius Schwartz as a person, from what I understand, I do like the stuff that he is the editor for. So yeah, um, which will then eventually turn into Denny O'Neill and Infantino, yeah. Batman. Yeah, that's right. That's like the end of the sixties. Yeah, um, but it is the long-eared 
uh, blue and gray costume of Batman is the 1964 costume, which is going to be what we get in the coverage when we get to Batman. So I'm excited uh, after we do Aquaman, which is next. Yeah, just... I don't want to say disappointing, but definitely not as fun. The Zatanna and the Elvara issues were the best because they were the most... They had the most pages to breathe. They made the most sense, and they were the most fun. They were both non-science heavy, though, which is different compared to last episode uh, where we covered a bunch of science heavy ones. You know who we didn't see at all this this series? Enriqueta, his assistant, didn't see her at all. Huh? Yeah. So weird things have come and go by the wayside, and it's just very, very strange. Uh, but that's it for my aspect of the coverage. I don't know what you have. I I don't have my finger on exactly what has changed, but it, if I had to boil down how I feel about it, it just feels like there isn't the same imagination. Like, the mm-hmm. last time we talked about the Atom, I talked about the the home alone like hijinksy kind of feel and the it feels like it's going through a lot of these stories are repeating themselves in ways and the the creativeness of wow this is an interesting this is a normal household item that everybody's familiar with used in a different way goes away if it's the same thing over and over again uh and the thing that stands out most with that is the I am bending back this springy thing and then releasing and getting like sh- using it to launch myself. Uh, it's it's not as common as I felt like it was, but uh, let me bring up my math. Been a little while since I did some mathing on this, but three it happens three times in seven stories. Uh, actually, no, uh, three times in like eight stories or something like that. Uh, so it's. It's not as common as it felt like when I was going through, but it does feel like Gardner Fox is sort of repeating tricks on things. And so mm-hmm. when you get the stuff that's real, like out of left field, uh, like Zatanna and the Bat Knights, that's forcing him to do something different, especially because the stuff, that, maybe that's part of it, is the stuff that Zatanna has, the environment, but also the stuff is just different. Uh, it is a fantasy environment. Things are different. There are playing cards in play. There are uh, weird energy beings. So maybe it's like a dragon. Some... You know, um, I will say I liked Zatanna's portrayal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was not. She was probably the the best female superhero. Fox has written. Yeah, next to next to Hawkwoman. Now, I say this because we didn't see her interact with another woman. Yeah. Because that's usually when Fox's writing falls flat, is interactions between women. Uh, you know what? I would bet it holds up right now, or because she has a driving purpose that is different than the people around her, people who are helping her, but she has a very clearly defined motivation of finding her father. And yeah. Hawk, Hawk Girl can help with that, but 
it's there's probably enough differentiation there that she she can be defined in that way and be a little different than hot girl but this is purely supposition on my part yeah no and i a hot girl or hot girl hot woman doesn't have a directive it's just do whatever's going on that my husband and i are involved in in midway city Zatanna having a quest I think you're right might define her character a bit more um, there was no flirtiness or romance between her and Ray, which I appreciated they were just focused on the thing Ray didn't question her capability he questioned magic but he didn't question her Yeah, which I appreciated didn't undermine her as a person or as a powerhouse it just Ray as a man of science being like magic are you sure I think was the just fine. You get that headbutting every time you get characters from different worlds of you know schools of thought running into each other. It's totally fine. But I just I liked the I liked it. I thought it was really cool when he's like, "How are you going to shrink down with me?" She's like, "Do you have any more white dwarf star material?" And he's like, "Yeah." She magicked it into clothes. And I was like, "That's hilarious. I love that." Like the her, the versatility of her magic was really fun to see. Mm-hmm. Because it's magic, it can be anything. It doesn't have to have really strong rules about what she can and can't do. So I thought that was fun. That she was like, "Yeah, I'm just going to make white dwarf Zatanna outfit." And I'm like, "That's really cool." <laughs> that was that was that was neat. So, you mentioned that she she is a character defined by her objective right now, and and that is very that is very much true. Like the, we talked about, this is her second appearance. And the first five appearances that she has, five, I think that's the right number, uh, yeah, is a five-story arc across five different Gardner Fox comics. Uh, And uh, this is the bit that entertained me. So it starts off with Hawkman, and uh, then over to uh, an Adam story, then over to Green Lantern, then to Elongated Man. Then the JLA. And technically there's also a a Batman story that has been retconned to be, okay, this was her showing up as the witch uh, instead of just, oh, some nebulously defined witch. But in terms of what the writing intent was at this time, it's those one, two, three, four, JLA. So I'm looking forward to us seeing those individual stories play out. It, It reminds me most of lightning lad being dead and that being a continuous story thread but even bolder because it's across five different issues and we don't have any like go check out blank for the next story it's not there it feels like they could have decided at any moment uh julia schwartz just looks at the numbers and says hey gardner this is this next one is the last one in this arc, and then it's done. But instead, we get Satana, and yeah. it just it and it just works. Yeah, it really does, and I think it also. I think the mobility of her character between series lends itself to her being a resource character, mm-hmm. a contractor, a free agent. But she is in regular stories now you know she was she is a justice leaguer for a while and a lot of stuff but i like the concept that zatanna is like the resident magic person that like you know when magic stuff happens call z and this kind of introduction of her 
supports that usage of her in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it shows, yeah, everybody knows Zatanna. We all we all did a mission with Zatanna, of course. She's she's on the up and up. We all know her. I almost wish we had this for every member of the league that joins after the initial forming. Yeah. So that people who vouch for them have the ability to vouch for them instead of them showing up in showcase and, you know, having a crossover or popping up in one issue of Flash or one issue of Hawkman or something like that. Um, I would I would have liked to see this character in action and to have the Justice League have a history of like, no, I, I vouch I vouch for Hawkman or I vouch for the Atom. They're cool. It makes it all feel more organic. Like a world yes. a shared world is being built out without it being oh we're trying this character as a major character it's like y- you think about uh you know what it is it's wolverine wolverine shows yeah. up in the hulk and then he becomes an x-men and then he become and then he becomes the x-men pretty much yeah but uh, <laughs> so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing where that goes and i i am curious i i assume that her jla appearance ends with her joining the league, but it would I would almost rather that she didn't and then mm-hmm. join later on and she just becomes a recurring character who eventually ascends up. Because the and the other character who I think in the modern age feels like she results from a similar like organic growth in this way would be Black Canary. And we know we have seen yeah. Black Canary, and this is not necessarily how it goes, but if Gardner Fox were to say, I want this character to become relevant again, and become that, like, I think of Black Canary as being a character who pops up in a bunch of different stories, but is never the star of her own show, except for, like, maybe a miniseries. Uh, mm-hmm. And in, in the same way that I think of Zatanna as that way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, also worth noting, uh, subatomic worlds, because <laughs> we've, and I think we've touched on them, but these really do just kind of keep happening of what if you shrunk so much that it doesn't say this, but it basically is like, what if there were an entire world on the surface of, well, less than an atom, I guess probably like a nucleus or something, but it it does interest me that it's not so much about going to an alien planet as to, well, whatever we want to be. It's not an alien experience. It's not, this is so small that reality warps in weird ways. It's about, hey, this is functionally, it could be a fantasy world. It could be an alien planet. It could be something weird, but it is not interested in dealing with the subatomic the subatomic is just a an excuse for it being different yeah it's also because he can't fly mm-hmm. yeah no space travel for you kind <laughs> of i mean he can he floats but there's no air Doesn't, currents for him yeah. to fly on and space. You know, <laughs> it, it actually does surprise me that it surprises me that that's where it goes of shrinking. That that feels like a concession to, well, yeah, it, that is a necessary precondition for getting uh, the Adam into the story is Zatanna needing his help for the size thing. Because otherwise it could be, hey, my dad's trapped in this book with like a magic spell. We'll use the another spell to enter the book 
in like the way that you might walk into Narnia or something instead of mm-hmm. let's get really small and get into the book. But because the other side of it is the whole point is, man, I think my dad's in this book somewhere on a subatomic world. How many moles of atoms are there in a book? Yeah. <laughs> how many, how many of those subatomic worlds could he potentially be on? Yep. Or rather that they would have to look for him on. Yeah. All right. Other than that, uh, the one thing I will say is I do think Carmine Infantino still rules. Uh, I mm-hmm. think that that piece doesn't drop off. I find the the visuals of the storytelling to still be at least pretty good. Like Carmine Infantino level, maybe not transcendently so. Like I, I didn't see any panels that were like, oh, this is crazy in the same way that I think I think last episode we did. But it's mm-hmm. still like, dude knows what he's doing. He's the master for a reason. Nope. One thing I like to touch on every once in a while is, hey, what kind of ads are we seeing right now? Uh, and at this point in time in these comics... We have transitioned into General Mills cereals. Rocky and Bullwinkle, uh, in particular, shilling. I don't remember which cereal, but the other cereals have their recognizable mascots. Like there's the Leprechaun on Lucky Charms. There's the uh, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs uh, dude. Although it's, hey, here's the weird nephew who just makes zany jokes instead of being like, I'm Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so those are those are fun to see. You've also got a lot of model like cars and stuff, hmm. uh, and s- some that are specifically branded around other media properties in the sense of like there's the Munsters car, uh, but there's also just hey here's a really nice like Chevrolet kind of thing. Yeah, there's also uh, GI Joe. And Tootsie Rolls and Tootsie Roll Pops, although much less Tootsie stuff. That was extremely dominant for a long time in the comics that we were reading, and now it's it's less so. All right. All right. And then did I have... I talked about the new look. Talked about ads. Oh, one other thing that makes me not like the writing as much, specifically the writing bad puns and not bad puns in like the fun dorky like dad humor kind of way it's let me bring up an example uh what a wait to go because whenever he hits somebody like he's like jumping up at super light weight and then he turns his weight all the way back on and he punches somebody and it's no they're forced yeah they they feel like they're added in post yeah yeah and it i like puns i would love for puns to be dorky and fun and not really be good but but they're bad and that's worse (laughs) (laughs) not not enthusiastic yeah it's it's, rough can't can't all be jams no all right shall we move on to recommendations I think we shall. You had one that you wanted to do? I do. So, I, I've talked about the Die uh, series by Kieran Gillen. Uh, 
I finished it off. I got the fourth book specifically through it. Looked around. Oh, I can get this with the free trial of Kindle Unlimited. Turns out there are a lot of comics in Kindle Unlimited. So if you if you have a tablet, it's it's worth. If you, you may have moral compunctions about giving money to Amazon, that is fair. I am validating that feeling. However, if you do not have those moral compunctions, or if you're fine with a little bit of money because hey, uh, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Uh, it is still, uh, there are, I think, something like 200 pages of comics, most of them graphic, no- or volumes rather than individual issues, not all, uh, between the manga and Western comics that are in there. And there's a, it's a bunch of stuff. Like, there's a whole bunch of DC and Marvel stuff, but there's also. Uh, Peter Cannon's uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, I think, is the name of hmm. another Kieran Gillen one. Loved that. Like, uh, what? What if we did something that is definitively like a thematic sequel to Watchmen that isn't about Watchmen, like as as a feeling, uh, like that kind of dystopic review of superheroes, but is instead, hey, let's let's take specifically like a little bit of Ozymandias and let's do a little bit of multiverse and a lot of formalism be hmm. i didn't realize this at the time but everything about it 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 is almost always just nine panel grid and it uses that structure in some absolutely fascinating ways and it it's like five issues six issues it's short it's just it does nothing that it shouldn't and, and nothing unnecessary nothing extraneous and it has one of the best like it plays with uh i want to say the xkcd thing but that's not right of like people like moving around through panels to represent like oh i can do things that are different uh like people reaching through the gutters kind of things and hmm. It has an incredible payoff of that and the theme, melding that with the themes of the book. So I, I recommend Kindle Unlimited. Just go through, find yourself a whole bunch of books, read a bunch, just gorge yourself. And then pro- probably the thing I need to do is I need to go back through and like reread the ones that I thought were really good and do a little bullet for of something that I found interesting from all the ones from all the other ones. Nice. Uh, I'm going to recommend a game on Steam called Death's Door. Um, You play a little crow who is a Grim Reaper. And you are out to get souls that have escaped reaping. You have a tiny little pink soul sword. You kill little monsters. Uh, It's very cute, very fun. I've been enjoying it a lot. The music is really good. Uh, Genuinely chuckled and laughed at some of the humor in the game. Very interesting. Um souls-like top-down isometric fighter not normally a game that i tend to play but i have been enjoying this i have been getting frustrated as of course the game gets more more and more difficult um but i i like it i think this is a game worth playing if you have not uh, bought it it's cute it's quick uh devolver publishes it but it's made by a smaller team um very fun highly recommend it you get to be a little crow dude it's fun hop around oh yeah like you're a tiny crow and then there are like bigger crows and like 
other crows your size. There's little, uh, like, plant sprites that follow you around occasionally. Little plant buds. It's cute. It's really fun. Um, yeah, it's not too expensive, I don't believe. Uh, but yeah, good game. Check it out. Uh, but as for us, that will do it with our Adam coverage for the years of 64 to 66. Moving on to Aquaman next. We're excited to see what happens with the water hobo. And then we get to do Batman, which we haven't done in a while. Yes. Which will be weird. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. After Ray brought us back to size when our visit to the city of Elvara ended, we bid the Adam and Ivy Town a fond farewell. The ocean called, and we knew there was a duo we hadn't seen in quite some time waiting for us at the shore.